Welcome to the Landscape Ontario podcast. I am Scott Barber. Today I'm speaking with Rohan Harrison. Rohan has been involved with LO for three decades and he is deeply passionate about the positive impacts landscapes and green infrastructure have on people and communities. He is a lead in the grounds department at Sunnybrook Hospital in Toronto, which has one of the most incredible grounds for any hospital, probably anywhere in the world, with over 33 acres of green space and some 5,000 trees. He joins the show to talk about his green career, plus why he got involved with LO's Diversity, Inclusion and Belonging Committee. That is coming up next. So Rohan, thank you so much for connecting with us today. Uh, I'd love to start first with a bit about yourself and, you know, how did you wind up in the horticulture profession? Well, it's a, a long story. Um, I've been in agriculture my entire life, but what, what led me into horticulture profession directly I would say it's a generational influence. My, throughout my life, I've been involved through my family farms in Jamaica. And um, so the natural progression was to embrace agriculture as a profession, which I did. I studied agronomy at the post-secondary level. Eventually, that love for plants and the outdoor landed me the opportunity to manage one of Jamaica's larger farming operations. There, I was responsible for 3,900 workers on an 11,400 acre farming operation. And I was also responsible for the research and um, production of sweet sorghum. At the time, it was used as um, an additive to gasoline, the hydrated ethanol. And it was while working there, uh, I noticed that a certain group of workers Though they were very poor, Scott, they were always happy. You know, they always seemed so relaxed compared to the factory workers. And I always wondered why. But I didn't explore in any depth why this happened. I just always wondered why are these guys are always so happy, so relaxed, so um, carefree. Mm-hmm. But when I came to Canada, I did not get employed right away. So... What I did to fill my day was to read agricultural material, because that was my background, naturally. And I would refresh my memory on the various research projects I had completed in the past. During that time, I had a few trips across the border, and I heard about Ivy League schools. And I asked myself why most of these schools had such great landscapes. Um, So I was wondering, was it a landscape why the kids or the students did so well? And of course, my research brain started working again. But I could not get enough reputable medical reference why this school did so well from an agronomical point of view. But I keep seeing work done by a Dr. Roger Ulrich. Yes, regarding green spaces and health and well-being. So this naturally shifted my focus again. And then I started to appreciate the reason why those workers back in Jamaica then were so happy. I believe it was the health benefits from the green space that they were working in. So I reignited my research again, and I came across an initiative called the 
federal project, which BC Victoria held, was the only one in Canada at that time that had any public involvement. I wondered why others, especially in my own province, weren't adopting more of an evidence-based green approach to healthcare. And I mean true green, not just uh, reduce water flushing toilets or LED light insulation, but incorporating plants into the environment and building discussions. So you see, at that time, I also appreciated that as our population and city grew bigger and older, more people would require more life-sustaining healthcare. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, more of our green space will be sacrificed and replaced by green infrastructure uh, for hospital buildings or healthcare facilities. So I figured we would continue to lose more garden beds to hospital beds. I realized then that uh, we could not even begin to restructure or to reduce our healthcare facilities pressure because of the demand. So it got me thinking, I said, there's not much we can do. There's not much the hospital can do because of our ailing society. We needed those in authority, like our politicians, and collectively as a nation, to start to heck up and, and embrace the message that we really needed more green space, more green preventative healing environment in the city, urban, and the or rural communities. Similar to vaccines, and I'm not touching on COVID, but they're similar to vaccine, our green space protects us from sickness, um, especially caused from depression, stress, um, lack of oxygen, exposure to uh, volatile organic compounds, um, obesity, immobility from sedentary lifestyle, and I mean, a number of them. As a matter of fact, a lot were highlighted by um, your recent guest at Congress, Dr. M Melissa Lem. So she went in, into that in detail. So to get back to, my, my, to your question, my focus moved again to emphasize how can I move the narrative to help communicate a few of the plethora of health benefits our green space provided as suggested by the literature that I was reviewing. So and this was back in the 90s and information wasn't easily referenced as it is today. So I, I then decided to transition into the landscape industry. After a brief stint with Kemlon, I did a couple of years with Kemlon, I decided to start my own business. The thought process, there's a catch, the thought process being I would help homeowners realize some of the awesome health benefits of our green space. <laughs> was I ever wrong? Not only was I not able to articulate my findings, I was also operating counterproductive to the divine plans of the creator who charged us all with the responsibility to steward this awesome resource we commonly refer to as Mother Nature. My operation, Scott, was not being very sustainable. It was actually reducing biodiversity in what I was doing. Note, I'm only speaking for myself, not a hit against the turf sector group. So that's a disclaimer. So I realized I need a more recognized canvas to paint this green stewardship picture. So where could I go? Not sure of your spiritual background, but I knew I had a divine intervention as a decade later, 
I got invited to look after a hospital grounds. They wanted their grounds to, to, they wanted to elevate the aesthetics of their landscape. And I thought this was a blessing and a perfect opportunity and a platform to promote the message that turf, trees, and our landscape impact our health and well-being positively. And at that time, this is now mid-2000, many were by now concerned and are agreed that plants or green infrastructure were a real solution to health and well-being. But they were not engaged, mainly because they were unfamiliar with the scientific findings. In other words, to them, this info was not scientifically proven. I still could not articulate what I wanted to communicate regarding the benefits of green space to our health and well-being back then. Not having a background, a medical background, or substantial scientific find references. So I decided to approach from a different angle, a show and tell. I figured, let the landscape speak for itself. I figured, create the space, and they will come, even if for aesthetic reasons alone. Then they would be exposed to the health and mental benefits. And in a very long-winded way, <laughs> that's how I got involved with the green industry in Canada. And that's start my journey of telling others about the importance of landscape in our healthcare. In a very long-winded way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, what's clear, Rohan, is that it, it's, you know, your uh, career in horticulture is not a job it's it's a calling it's a passion and it, it has <laughs> deep deep roots and, and that yeah. is very clear could you tell us about what you've what you do with with Sunnybrook what that role has been like okay so my role at Sunnybrook is is to look after the green spaces here um everything outside the building um currently we have been contracted out. So my role is still to direct the contractor, who is also a member of Landscape Ontario, we won't reference name, but to ensure that they maintain the same discipline, the same criteria we have for our, our landscape, managing it in an organic, sustainable way. So that's currently my role. I mean, there's a lot of initiatives that have into introduced over the years, like this is the only hospital in Canada with the Arboretum. We have a apiary with 30,000 bees. We have planted over 5,000 trees. We have moved our urban tree canopy from 19% when I started. Currently, the last evaluation in 2018, it's up to 34% urban tree, tree canopy coverage. Um, we're into stormwater management, um, allergy management, because it's it's really sad if you have your patient come into a hospital environment and they're suffering from allergies. So, so allergy management is quite important. The type of plants we use, um, no wind pollinated plants, things like that. So for, for people that haven't been to, to Sunnybrook, uh, of course, uh, a major hospital in, in Toronto, um, for, for those who haven't been, can you tell us about what the grounds are like? I've been there, uh, I've been fortunate, not as a patient, but I've been on the grounds um, and it really is pretty, pretty an amazing uh, place. Could you tell us about it? Well, the, the, the grounds 
and the green space actually serves as an extension to the uh, important and life-saving work happening within the walls of the hospital. Um, it is, we have 33 acres of turf areas, as I referenced earlier, over 5,700 trees. Um, we have different garden types of garden, therapeutic, healing, edible. Um, and every day, patient and their family, staff use the green space around the hospital as a place of escape, reflection, enjoyment, healing. Because as you know, Scott, there's strong evidence that real or simulated view of nature or landscape plays a huge role in human health and well-being. So the access to green space is very important for mental health patients, for physical fitness, cognitive immune function, um, lower mortal mortality rates. There's so much health benefits that, yes, so book promotes um, their green space, both as a medical um, access and also as a mindfulness and a self-care to staff members. Yeah, that's the other element, not just the patients, but, you know, um, the many, many, uh, you know, healthcare professionals uh, at the hospital, it's a space for them to unwind on right. or at lunch uh, to, you know, relax, hopefully get some, uh, uh, you know, that sense of well-being you get when you're in a, in a, in a green space, um, even during stressful times. Absolutely. Um, are there many other hospitals in Ontario elsewhere that are, that have that type of um, that, you know, that scale of green space that you just said, I think you said like 33 acres and 33 acres. Space. yeah. Are there many others like it in Canada or, or elsewhere? No, no. And that's one of our claim to fame. It's the largest single site hospital in Canada. Um, we're the only hospital we know of prior to last year that we contracted at, at their own ground staff. Um, now that has changed, but sure. so yes, we're the only hospital we know have that has um, this scale of green space. Yeah, it's it's incredible, it really is. Um, you know, I'd like to to shift to your involvement with Landscape Ontario, if you would. How did so, how did you, how did you first get involved with the association? <laughs> well, as, as mentioned before, <laughs> when I came to Canada, because I did not get employed right away, apart from reading agriculture material and refreshing my memory on the various research projects that I did in the past, I would go to Landscape Ontario office lo located at Madison Boulevard at the time to read landscape material. So once I started working at Chemlon, I got formally involved. Um, into the association. Then I started my own business in 1994. So I became a member then and volunteer and the various sector group, including the TERF and the IPM. And what, what, so how long have you been involved? When, when was, the, <laughs> when was well, that? Well, formally from 1992, through Kevlon, but I've actually been involved since 1991. I used to just go there as a non-member, sit in that office at Madison Boulevard, reading material, because I had nowhere else to entertain my day 
<laughs> right. Wow. So we're talking, you know, go over 30 years. Over and, 30 years. That's yeah. amazing. And, and what is, you know, what, so you, you talked about the sort of the, how it started, you know, why, why have you continued to be, you know, a, a supporter, a member, a volunteer with the association for all these years? Well, as again, referencing my, back in 1991, since my background was in agronomy, I always wanted to be part of something that appealed to my intellect, to my training, and uh, provide opportunity and uh, experience that, that I could experience continued growth. And that was LO, LO Fit the Bill. Um, I could see the seeds that were being planted at LO at that time. And I thought that this could be potentially a great association in the years ahead. And was I ever right, looking back now? Also, Scott, we were never created to do life alone, professionally, socially, or otherwise. Though, though still limited, LO provided me a conduit to meet some wonderful professionals, folks like Tony, Joe, Jack McMahon, John Wright, Don Boris, and many others. Actually, I shouldn't have started to call names. <laughs> I don't resent leaving someone out. <laughs> but, but so many wonderful, genuine, great folks, especially in the turf sector group, and now currently on the diversity, inclusion, and belonging committee. I hope I got that right. On the Ed Anson's leadership. What a selfless group of professionals. And honestly, today I am better professionally because of my involvement with ELO. That's it's it's wonderful to hear um, to hear about that. And and obviously, it's it, it as you said, it goes back into the early '90s. So that's pretty amazing. You've obviously seen, you know, quite quite a bit of changes and growth in the association over that time. Uh, which oh, yeah. is cool. Um, so you mentioned the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Committee. Can you tell us, you know, why was that something you wanted to be a part of? Why I wanted to be involved? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> well, it's a long story, but I'll try to exercise some brevity in answering your question. I, I really didn't want to be a part of this committee because of the fear of tokenism. After being around LO since the early 90s, I was always challenged by the optics that greeted me at events and at the website. There are events that I was the only one of the BIPOC community, community there. So, and looking through the lens of someone from the African diaspora, it was very homogeneous, not very inviting, which can be viewed as exclusive. For the marginalized folks, there was no attraction or enticement to join. But I still wanted to be a member. And when I listened to Tony Dungy, uh, Super Bowl winning coach, he said something that still resonates with me to this very day. And I, I have it here. I want to read it so I get it right. Uh, he said, I've never seen a successful team whose membership pursue different objectives or who rebel against the culture. In fact, a team that isn't unified and headed in the same direction isn't much of a team at all. 
It is simply a collection of individuals. Tony further reminded us that I perform in teams of members who strive to own their roles and give their best. They take ownership. They show up faithfully, ready to work hard and give their best to whatever they have been called to do. <laughs> That's when the true revelation came to me saying, thinking I'm not the problem is sometimes a problem. What am I doing to help realize inclusive, diverse representation in this association that I love? So I mentioned it to my QAnian son, Hugh, and his response was, rather than get enraged, dad, get engaged. Be cognizant, however, that rival without reformation won't change institutions. He said, without functional changes, it is just a competition. One group striving for exclusivity, while the other is deprived of inclusivity, resulting in the establishment of supremacy. The fact is, while I appreciate that some of the current um, non-inclusive vernacular or attitude displayed in the association is steeped in cultural identity, none of us had the choice or color of the race we would be. That was divinely decided for us. Therefore, we really should not discriminate or challenge the will of the creator or his creation. Who are we? We are stewards of creation. So it is time we stop getting hung up on the problem and start looking at the solution. We, we all see the fire. No need to tell each other the buildings are fire anymore. We need to start to provide extinguishing solution. So I wanted the opportunity to be working together with others to change the system that make up the fabric of the institution of inequality, supremacy, and non-inclusiveness. That I accept I can do nothing by my own self, but greater is he that is in me, and with the unity of others, we can overcome and achieve reformation. Believe me, Scott, if we really want to do something, we will find a way. If not, we'll always find an excuse. So I had to ask myself a real question. Do I really want to be a part of the problem or a part of the solution? So that answer led me to contact our wonderful executive director, Tony. And from the discussion we had, I was comfortable that Elo did not set out to block others like myself from joining, but the, but the association um, was not realizing the objectives of, quote, mutual benefit and improvement, focus on enhancing each and every lives, end quote. They weren't visibly inclusive. And this could be attributed to the background of the founding members, uh, which was deeply ingrained the association's cultural attitude that exists today. And that's what create barriers to others like myself maybe being attracted to it. And if I, get, if I may quote another founding member, Casey Van Morris, he said, in my opinion, we must unite in order to gain our fair share of the consumer dollar. And united, we could rise to become one of the most important industry in the province. Casey also wrote, we need landscape Ontario as a potent driving force for our industry. Through our collective united strength, we can make things happen. 
and work for us. Those are powerful statements, powerful narratives, and we should, they should never be lost or unchecked in, a, in our discussion or business operation. Then Tony hit me with a bombshell, <laughs> he said, you would be a good voice on our recently formed diversity and belonging committee. Actually, it was called something else at the time. So I reluctantly accepted the offer to join the group. But after chatting with Ed Anson, I was home and I was ready for the fiery darts of opposition and resistance. You see, perception influenced interaction. So that's why I story joined the committee. <laughs> Really appreciate. I mean, it, it's it's clear. You know, there's there's a deep thought, and and um, you know, you 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 don't go in. You're 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 you put a lot of thought and passion into what you do, both in your career and with supporting LO and the association. And there's there's a lot of um, you know, there's such a thoughtfulness now that I really appreciate there that I really appreciate. Um, if I could say something more before before. Yep. To me a few more seconds. But yeah, of course. It would be remiss of me if I did not say also that I am incredibly proud, honored, and thankfully blessed to be a member of this team. And I applaud Landscape Ontario's commitment to strengthening inclusivity by moving the dial forward on racial equity and inclusivity. Uh, thank you to the receptive and instinctive leadership team and all the talented individuals on this committee, Joe, Ed, and others. They have devoted resources and have held themselves accountable and um, they are making important strides in creating more of a diverse association. And I'm really impressed how each member approach the sensitivity of the objective and have faithfully taken ownership of their roles to give this commitment their very best. So I just want to applaud them and say thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and with the committee, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a long-term process. I think it's fair to say, you know, this is something, this isn't a, you know, something that, um, you know, it's, it's a few meetings and, and it, it's over. This is a, a long-term commitment. What do you yeah. hope? What do you hope to, to see in the in the coming months and years? What do I hope? Ooh. I forgot to think about that one. <laughs> but what do I have? Okay. Um, I understand uh, we are tasked with the responsibility to establish a framework of equitable inclusivity and not necessarily to provide answers, but rather to help other source plausible solutions to achieve inclusivity for their organization or their company. Uh, some of us may not understand the rationale or have the enthusiasm to address this issue because it may not be their experience, but that does not mean it's not the story of another. And as long as our egalitarian efforts are seen as predominantly guided by the exclusive rather than together with those who have been excluded, there will not be meaningful change to, our, to inclusivity. So currently, most of those in industry who are not associated with the association do not realize its true objective, value, and benefits, uh, and have no reason to search for hello. 
And if they happen to come across Elo and decide to check it out, the first impression is not inclusive and or inviting, despite the awesome online presence and the awesome website that we have. So, so I'm praying that we will be able to suggest a blueprint so everyone in the profession may use it to make changes to ensure diversity, equity, inclusion within their respective companies. I'm also praying, Scott, that Landscape Ontario will be the beacon or the lighthouse during this tumultuous adventure because we, we cannot just hope the challenges to inclusivity will sort itself out. We must each be willing to be part of the answer, part of the process. We must be willing to challenge change. And the journey starts with this committee, of course, with the blessing of the board. So this is the first step forward in realizing our stated objective of enhancing each and every life. Um, if I may, I like to quote other people, if I may quote Martin Luther King, I don't have to read this one, I remember, he said, the time is always right to do what is right. And I will reinforce that by saying, if we stand for what is right, what is right will stand. You know, we own this truth self-evident that all people are created equal. We may fail at first, but so did Thomas Edison, so did Walt Disney, so did Sir James Dyson. You know, they eventually found a way to succeed. We will find a way to succeed, I believe. So, Hello need to be the stadium for all the players to play in. One common playground for all. This will ensure a competent, professional, healthy service will be offered at all times, irrespective of the company or, or let's, let's keep it in the football reference of the player. Inclusivity will ensure global respect and significance of our industry. That's why we have to find a way to get all the players into our stadium and it starts with being more inclusive. As long as it's we and them, those that do not follow proper business practices will only serve to disenfranchise our industry, relegating it to the old adage of grass cutters. We are professionals providing services that strongly impact our health and well-being. It's time to take our place in society, and it starts with this committee. That's incredibly powerful. I'm I, I, thank you for for that. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sh quite sure how to follow that up, other than to say, um, you know, thank you for that. Um, and I do want to ask, you know, um, you know, if there's anything else um, that we haven't touched on already in our conversation. I mean, we could we could speak about these these issues for for you know hours, and in fact, I hope we can do that sometime. But for this purposes. Um, you know, we'll, we'll try to keep it in a sort of a more of a, a, a package that's easier for listeners. So I'd, I'd like to ask if there's anything else that we haven't touched on that you'd like to, you'd like to share with the yellow community. Uh, maybe briefly uh, about challenges. <laughs> because I have a different view about challenges. Um, Challenges and disappointment, they are inevitable. But misery is optional. And I'm not saying everything is or amazing all the time. I'm saying that when things get challenging for me, I still have a sense of joy because of the attitude I employ. 
because I truly believe challenges produce growth intellectually, spiritually, and professionally. So rather than focus on the challenges and depression, I look at and embrace the positive opportunities. Um, what do you think about it? Ships do not sink because of the water around them. They sink because of the water that gets into them. So if you let those challenges get into you, then yes, you're going down. So my life is motivated by these goal harmonizing mantras, and one of which is, I do not wish that the task or the challenges is easier. I always pray that I'm better. Because to me, challenges are relative. Think about it, Scott. The thermal winds that prevents or challenge most birds from attaining great heights gives the eagle the opportunity to go where no other birds have gone. So challenges can be an advantage, an opportunity. So yes, there are challenges, and just for our discussion, say, you know, I have had challenges during even where I'm currently, but I use them as opportunities. You know, um, one specific one. During my 15 years here, I've not attracted any upward mobility throughout the organization. But you may ask, was that a challenge or was that a blessing? Because of where I have, I, I was able to remain hands-on and achieve this sustainability success that the organization enjoyed today. So to me, it's not a challenge, it's a blessing. What was my goal when I came here? Was it to be promoted through the organization or was it to promote the message that landscape is? So that's, that's how I view challenges within the horticulture industry. They are all... Plus, of course, Maybe I'll pass, I'll pass it. I was going to say, I look at challenges like manure. It stinks initially, <laughs> but it's great for harvest. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope that, I hope that was appropriate. <laughs> oh, sure. Absolutely. No, I like it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been so nice to chat on these, on these topics. I think, um, you know, there's some really important things we touched on. I, I really enjoyed learning about about your career, and and as I said before, it's clear it's it's not a job for you in in horticulture and landscaping. It's uh, it's very much seems like a calling, and uh, and a passion. So that's so refreshing to see and and to hear about. And I thank you so much for uh, for sharing your story and uh, and and your experience with LO and you know right up to this day with um, with this extremely important committee that you're a part of. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's actually an honor and a privilege to echo my thoughts and emotions. And of course, you know, to be a conduit for others to voice their opinion. And I'm actually thankfully looking forward to your continued great work and promotion of this great forum through the podcast for information dissemination. You're doing a great job. I've actually watched all of your podcasts. I didn't want to say that before. <laughs> and, and you're really doing an awesome job Scott said thank you very much continue thank you very much Rohan thank you thanks again bye-bye okay thank you thank you for listening to Landscape Ontario podcast we hope you'll subscribe to get a new episode every month